teachings, just as I passed them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Zoe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we always need your help, uh, and particularly uh, we recognise it in in times where we come to passages like this, uh, a passage where I'm sure many of us uh, would would prefer to avoid it. Uh, We know it's seen as as divisive in many ways, but we ask that you'd help us to see your purposes uh, for us as as we look at it this morning. Give us humility, give us understanding, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we begin, I'll just mention, we normally work through a book of the Bible, uh, sort of in order, and uh, we're not doing that this morning. We've actually skipped a bit of of 1 Corinthians. Some of you keen-eyed people would have have noticed that. Uh, We missed from chapter 10, verse 23 through to verse 1. And the reason is, I I preached on that earlier in the year, so if, um, if you weren't here for that and you'd like to hear what that passage is about, then feel free to to go on our website and and have a look at that. Well, as I said, we've been going through this letter and and we've come across a church that thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to because they had become very worldly. This is a church that was drifting away from Jesus and it didn't seem to recognise it. Uh, A church where people cared more about following leaders than following Jesus, uh, where a man in the church was sleeping with his stepmother and no one batted an eyelid. Where two Christians ended up in court because they couldn't resolve a dispute that should have been resolved within the church. Where men were sleeping with prostitutes 
and where people cared more about their rights than being of any help to their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the church that Paul is writing to. It's a church where things haven't been great relationally. Uh, And today's passage picks up on on that theme of, of relating to people within the church. Specifically, it's a passage about how men and women relate in the church gathering. Now, before we begin, it's worth me saying that this is a a controversial passage. Uh, There are some who who claim this passage is proof that Paul is anti-women, he's misogynistic, he's a chauvinist, he's he's a woman-hater. And even to have this passage read in a church is offensive to some. But as we'll come to see, there is good reason that Paul writes what he does. In biblical times, uh, women didn't have many rights. Women wouldn't speak in synagogues, which was the place of worship. They would sit on one side, the men would sit on the other. And the teachers at the time, the rabbis, wouldn't speak to women on their own. But when Jesus came along, it was like a a revolution had taken place because his attitude to women was very different uh, to anything that people had encountered in those days. He not only spoke to women, but he also treated them with respect and dignity. Think of the Samaritan woman in in John chapter 4. Women were also among his closest followers. And like Jesus, Paul carried uh, carried on this revolutionary approach. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, but Christ is all and in all. See, Paul, like Jesus, knew that men and women have an equality in God's eyes. They are both equally members of his kingdom. And that plays out even in this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Paul will go on to speak about how women can pray and prophesy in the gathering of God's people. And yet, for all the equality that men men and women have in the eyes of God, there are also differences between the two. And that is what this passage hints at. God has designed men and women with certain distinctions. Men as the head, women as submitting to the head. But some of the women in Corinth were trying to blur these distinctions. In their view, Jesus had abolished the differences between men and women, and so some women were dressing in ways that went against what it, went against what it meant to be a woman at the time. And what Paul writes in this passage is a corrective. He's not denying equality in Christ. He's he's affirming that. But he's also affirming the distinctions between men and women. And sadly, this is a a passage that is very much relevant in the 21st century. At a a time where perhaps more than ever, people are pushing to minimise the God-given distinctions between men and women. This is a passage that, that we all need to hear. Uh, So let's look closer at it now. And there are two things uh, we see on display this morning uh, which are timeless. Firstly, men and women are very different. Uh, This is verses 1 to 10. Secondly, men and women need each other, verses 11 to 16. Uh, As we begin, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, Paul is praising the Corinthians for holding on to the gospel as it's been taught to them and applied. But he also sees the need to, to straighten out some things. He says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Uh, This is a passage that has a a number of difficult parts to understand. Uh, The first of which is is the word 
in our Bibles, which is translated head. Uh, That word in the Bible can can mean a physical head, or it can mean the the source of something, or it can mean an authority. And in verse 3, Paul seems to have authority in mind. He's saying man has authority over woman, Christ has an authority over man, and God the Father has an authority over Christ the Son. Now it's interesting that he includes the last one, uh, God having an authority over Christ the Son, because by doing so, uh, by doing so, he shows uh, something of of the timeless nature of these relationships as God intends them. God the Father is, is always the head over Christ the Son, uh, Christ always over man, and, and man always over woman. Now what's more, by including it, we're left with this lasting image of what it looks like to be the head. Now many will will read the start of verse 3 and think, well that's not right. But before we're tempted to do that, let's think about what it's saying and and what it's not saying. Man as the head of woman doesn't uh, diminish the worth of a woman. Uh, How do we know that? Well by asking, uh, does uh, God the Father's authority over Jesus diminish his worth? Does God the Father's authority over over Jesus diminish his worth? Is Jesus in any way inferior to the Father? And the answer is, of course not. And neither is woman in any way inferior as a result of man being the head. But men and women being equal in God's sight doesn't get rid of the way God has designed things. And the way God has intended men and women to relate Now, interestingly, uh, the word for man could be translated as as husband and woman as wife, but Paul doesn't seem to be talking about the marriage relationship here. He does that in a place like Ephesians 5, but here he's talking more generally about the way men and women relate together in the church. So that's where he starts, by, by pointing out that men and women are different and that men have been given this authority by God as head of women. And therefore, both should embrace this. Now, I mentioned a few things, a few meanings for the word head, and and in verses 4 and 5, I think we see two of them. Every man who who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered uh, dishonors her head. It is just as though her head was shaved. Now, what on earth is going on here? Uh, This is the problem that's come up in Corinth. When a man covers his his physical head while praying or prophesying, he dishonors his authoritative head, uh, which, as we saw in verse 3, is Christ. When a woman prays or prophesies with her physical head uncovered, she dishonors her authoritative head, which is man. So the word head causes a, a bit of debate. And another word that causes much more uncertainty is the word for cover. And the main question is, uh, is whether Paul's referring to a, a literal head covering uh, of some kind or, or whether he was just referring to a person's hair being tied up and that being the cover. Uh, in short, uh, I don't think we can be confident of the answer because uh, the Greek that Paul uses could mean either. Uh, the, the phrase in, in verse 4 is da- having down from the head. That's what it, that's what it means literally. Uh, now, imagine you've, you've just injured your arm, you've fallen over and you're in hospital and the doctors come and visit you in your room and they tell you you're going to need a cast, your arm is broken. But then two of the doctors start having this this big argument about 
the exact part of your bone which is actually broken. And they start using all the technical terms and, and going into all this detail, using words you've never heard of. And it goes on and on, and you're, you're sitting there wondering if you'll ever get your cast on. To you, the, the argument doesn't really matter because, big picture, your arm is broken, you need a cast. End of story. Uh, sometimes the, the details in life can bog us down, even when the big picture is clear. And that's a bit like what we find when it comes to this word for cover. We're not sure the, the exact specifics. Uh, there are some very good arguments, I think, on both sides, whether it's literally here or, or actual covering. And in fact, you could be here forever trying to kind of argue either side. But what we do know, the, the big picture, is that it's wrong for a man to, to do it and wrong for a woman not to do it. And that was, wide, that was a widespread understanding in Corinth. Now, some women have their hair uncovered and they're doing it to portray that there's no difference between them and the men. And Paul says at the end of verse 5, when a woman does this, it's like a woman whose head is shaved, which is again a, a first century reference. Now, a, a shaved head on a woman at that time was a sign of shame. Uh, sometimes a sign that a woman had committed adultery. Uh, Numbers chapter 5 is one place that hints at this. And what Paul notices among the Corinthians is, is something we see today. What a person wears actually communicates something. If you see someone walking around in a, a suit, it communicates that there's some sort of professional, uh, it's some sort of business attire. If you see someone wearing a, a cross around their neck, you probably think that they're religious in some way. Someone's walking around Shirley in a French rugby jersey, communicates they're a traitor. <laughs> no, it communicates that they're, they're probably supporters of France and, and because what we wear communicates something. And that's the case in Corinth at the time. In the gathering of Christians, men tended not to have anything on their heads, whereas women tended to have their heads covered in some way, whether it was a, a covering of sorts or their hair tied a particular way. And it was a recognition of man as head over them when they prayed or prophesied. So in verse 6, Paul comes to the conclusion, if a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved, she should cover her head. Because a covered head while praying or prophesying was the norm. Now, now further to make his point, in verses 7 to 9, Paul goes all the way back to creation. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now Paul is doing me no favours this morning, uh, just when I think I've got past the tricky verses. What's, what's he meaning here? Uh, well, I think it's important to say what he's not doing again. He's not saying that only men are created in the image of God because that would go directly against Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, where we see men and women were, in fact, equally made in God's image. But he is saying there's a difference between men and women. Man was made first and is the image and glory of God. But verse 8, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And we see that in Genesis 2. Woman is created from the rib of man, whereas in Genesis man is created differently. And man was created for God, whether, uh, whereas woman was created for man. You remember those words that God said? 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now, because woman came from man initially, in that sense, she is the glory of man. Uh, Remember what Adam said in response. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Woman is the glory of man. And women are indeed glorious in God's creation. And women express that glory differently to men. Now verse 10 is is one of the most confusing verses, which I I feel like I've been saying all morning. Uh, For this reason, and because of the angels, a woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Because of creation, the woman should have a sign of authority over her head, or in other words, should cover her head appropriately. And also because of the angels, uh, which we all understand, uh, so no need to spend any time on that. Uh, now, now one, one commentator actually suggests that the angels were there during creation, uh, and, and there's a verse in, in Job, it's, it's chapter 38, verse 7, that, that tells us that. And angels now watch over the, the worship of God's people and, and would want to see that happen in a dignified way. And that's why the, the women in Corinth should have their heads covered. Uh, if you have a better take on that, let me know. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what Paul meant. But his overarching point here, women have great dignity and worth. It's as a woman that she finds her worth and dignity. It's as a woman that she finds her authority to take an active part in the life of the church. Uh, The head covering proclaimed this at that time. Not just her submission, but also her dignity and authority. It's not by trying to be like a man, as some of the women in Corinth seem to be. It's a call for women to embrace and not reject their femininity. So that's the first part of the passage. Now the second part is this. Men and women need each other uh, in verses 11 to 16. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Now having made his point of the importance of women being women and men being men, Paul is aware that some might hear what he said and, and actually try and misapply that. Maybe they'll think, Men are more valuable than women, and so treat women poorly. Or maybe some will be tempted to ignore women in church altogether, as has been the case in the past. But Paul says that that any such attitudes or or behaviours are unwarranted, completely unwarranted. Positively put, women are dependent on men, men are dependent on women. And again he points back to creation in verse 12. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Uh, do you see there's an interdependence there? Men and women need each other. And that's true in all walks of life, uh, not least in the church. Because while God has designed us all to be different, he's also designed us to depend on each other and to complement each other. Neither men nor women are, are more important in God's eyes. We, we have a need, but we do have a need for each other. And that was absolutely in the chur- uh, true in the church in Corinth. And it's absolutely true today. Uh, in some churches today, women aren't allowed to do anything. And we need to be careful that we're not being more restrictive than the Bible is. Uh, at St. Stephen's, we wouldn't function without the many different ways that women use their, their God-given gifts. Now, some of these things are up the front rolls. Many of them aren't. But we need to constantly be aware of whether or not we're, we're following God's word because men need women in the church. 
But equally, women need men. Uh, I, I heard a great line recently. Uh, you know the lyrics of the song, Take my life and let it be? Well, that's been replaced by, Take my wife and let me be. <laughs> and, and on occasion, that's, that's what you find in the churches. Women doing everything, men nowhere to be seen. Men have been given a responsibility by God, and that is something we mustn't shy away from. At St. Stephen's, we always need more men to be stepping up to, to lead in different ways. Now, sometimes leading is taking charge of something, a, a particular ministry. It might be serving in a particular way. And we're always wanting men and women to do that at St. Stephen's in, in ways that are appropriate. But for men, sometimes leading is, is simply taking the initiative, not waiting to be asked, seeing a need and meeting that need. Now, that's obviously something that women can also do. Uh, it's also something women can encourage in men. But at times, men, men can be too passive in the church. And I say that as someone who, who spent years doing a similar thing. God has, has ordered things with men as the head of women. We should think about how that should flow out in the life of the church. Well, we've seen that God has established a pattern at, at creation in terms of how Men and women relate to one another. And if men and women need each other, then men need to be men, women need to be women. And that's Paul's point in verses 13 to 16. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a, man, uh, for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And he makes a, a few points, uh, many of which are based on first century culture. Corinthian culture said it wasn't appropriate for a woman to pray with her head uncovered. Uh, men having long hair at the time was a disgrace, while a woman's long hair was seen as a thing of glory, uh, this, this God-given distinction. Now that's not, that's not always the case in the Bible, but uh, in terms of men not, not being allowed long hair. You remember Samson uh, needed long hair for his strength. Uh, the final thing we see here is that none of the churches at the time are allowed, uh, allowed such a practice, which is again a cultural thing. So two things we've seen this morning. First, men and women are different. Man is the head of woman. And so when they pray or prophesy in the church, they should do it as men and women, not blurring these God-given distinctions. Uh, now, where does, where does that leave us as, as 21st century Christians? Well, it's worth remembering that we're in the West and, and what's culturally appropriate for us will be very different in other parts of the world. But for us, a woman wearing a, a head covering or, or tying her head a particular way, it doesn't necessarily communicate that she's acknowledging man's authority. Now, things are, things are very different these days. Uh, and to a lesser extent, women having short hair or men having long hair doesn't necessarily communicate that either, or, or the opposite of that. What is clear is that men and women are to be distinct. And that means as Christians we need to be careful about uh, embracing things that will obscure the distinctions between a man and woman because it's no secret that culture today tries to minimise these differences. The push to minimise gender or the suggestions that there are many different genders or agendas that uh, suggest men and women can, can decide whether they will be men or women. There's been a real attack on these uh, attack on these distinctions uh, that God has given between a man and a woman to the point where sometimes you're actually made to feel guilty for embracing them and, and for encouraging the distinctions. 
And we should celebrate these differences and, and distinctions between men and women that God has created. We should be aware when those distinctions are being minimized or, or when we find ourselves minimizing them. Because any such attempt is going against what God intended. Now what could that mean for us? Uh, well, while there are, are many, many different ways to express our masculinity and, and femi uh, femininity, uh, be careful not to, to fall into that trap that our culture has. Be careful if in our hearts we're, we're acting in ways to minimise what God has said and for the ways that that might play out in our lives. Now for the Corinthian women, this, this was actually a, a liberating time. In an age where they've been used to, to being oppressed, Jesus has given them a, a newfound freedom. But they need to be more aware of how, how they came across as they expressed that freedom. The message they were communicating at the time was, we no, we no longer submit to male authority. And they were going against the way God designed uh, men and women to relate, the, the way he designed them to relate in the church. Uh, if Paul were here today, I think he would say to the church, uh, rejoice in your differences. Don't, don't go against them. Don't kind of rebel against them. Uh, the final thing I want to say here, as, as we think about the, the differences between men and women and, and the dependence that we have on each other, I think it raises for us the, the question of whether we will trust God's authority in these matters. Do we trust what God has set out for us is actually for our good? Do, do we trust that what we've seen in this passage this morning is for our good? Or do we doubt God in our hearts? Now that's something for us to, to think about, to pray about. Uh, I do pray that we would keep growing as Christians and, and keep growing in our ability to trust him uh, as we come to his word. Even with these things that, that some of us might struggle with in, in, in a passage like this. Uh, let me pray. Please join me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this passage which is a, a very complex passage in a number of ways and uh, very much... Uh, relevant to what was happening in, in Corinth at the time. Uh, and we pray that you would help us as we continue to reflect on uh, those timeless truths that we've heard, that men and women are different uh, and that we are dependent on each other. And we pray you'd give us great wisdom as we uh, work out what that looks like, how we, how we live that out in the 21st century uh, here at St. Stephen's. Uh, Lord, please continue to work in our hearts, continue to help us as your people to, to sit under your word. Uh, and please make us more and more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.